Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Daniel Parist, host of New Books in Finance, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Philip Grant, fellow of the University of Edinburgh uh, and co-author, along with uh, Diane Lore Arjales, um, Ian Hardy, Donald McKenzie, and Yekaterina Svetlova of uh, the book, very interesting one for, for those of us involved in finance, Chains of Finance, How Investment Management is Shaped, was published by um, uh, Oxford University Press in 2017. So we're playing a little bit of catch up here. And for those of you who have been following the interviews on uh, New Books and Finance, it's actually a, a follow-up with a subsequent, uh, it's a follow-up interview to a subsequent interview, uh, uh, prior interview, excuse me, that I conducted with uh, Yekaterina Svetlova on another book on a similar topic. Uh, Philip Grant uh, is is joined uh, of the authors is joining today to discuss. Philip, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I, I have to admit, I'm uh, myself. I pretend to be a social scientist, or a historian, more in the humanities, and I've been in finance for for uh, twenty years. But I really have never. Uh, until encountering chains of finance, uh, a, a formal engagement with the social science of finance, uh, and I didn't know that such a, 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 a discipline existed both in academia and, and the concept even in in the front lines of investment. But boy, is it necessary! Can you just provide a kind of an overview of uh, what the the social science of finance is, and and then we can get to how chains of finance fits in. Okay, of course. Um, so the social studies of finance is a sort of merging of various different social science disciplines rather than a discipline in its own right. Um, a lot of people are sociologists working in this tradition. There are anthropologists. Um, there are people working with business schools and management studies. And basically, um, you know, to put it a bit crudely, it's... Uh, looking at finance and people who work in financial markets as you know a part of society like any other um and instead of say you know someone who's working in financial economics or even behavioral finance for all the differences between those approaches they're very interested in you know how people make money how can you make money better how can you make money in a more kind of stable fashion over time we're we're not so interested in that you know we're more interested in the kind of the the social relationships um which exist in the financial industry. Uh, we're interested in the kind of ethical justifications that people who work in the industry give of it. Uh, we're interested in the, the, the political dimensions. We're interested in how technology is used, how models are used, and how these things can often take on a life of their own. Um, and you know, so therefore, we're not just looking at sort of individuals and decision makers and how they do take decisions, but we're looking at the kind of social, political, eth- ethical, technological frameworks um, within which dis- you know, financial markets take place, if you like. So, but that, um, that, you know, why this is so interesting to me is that uh, formally through, call it an MBA program or a CFA program or any 
uh, training program. And from a regulatory perspective, none of what you just described even exists. Yet the reality is, of course, it exists. That is, from an investment perspective, and this is in regards specifically to chains of finance, which we'll get to, but it's a black and white world. You have a model, you implement the model, you make money, you lose money. You have an investment style, you implement the investment style. That's it. It works or it doesn't work. You grow or, or, or decline. Uh, and that's everything that is taught. But the reality is there's a lot more to it. And and that social studies or social science of finance is, is um, you know, a description of... <laughs> of the world that I live on a daily basis, but is never part of the formal curriculum, at least when I went through the system. Yeah. And I don't think that's changed. I mean, uh, I should also say that I was part of this system between 1998 and 2003. So, you know, hopefully long enough to understand what's going on. Of course, I went through formal training too. Um, You know, and I think, I mean, you're absolutely right in what you say, but at the same time, I think a lot of people working in the financial industry know that you know the formal exams and the formal training is only is only you know a part of what 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 goes on. Um, but I think it's, it's also quite quite normal, really, in in any any area of of social life. You know, you, you're not constantly you don't spend all your time thinking like how is this possible, you know, politically, socially, and so on. You, you just get on with it. You're trying to you know folk very focused on a task, which in you know finances. Again, putting it crudely is to make more money for yourselves, for your clients. You're, you're very focused on that, so of course you don't think about you know all the other things that make that possible or make it difficult. But you know, I at the same time, my experience from both working in the industry and interviewing fund managers is that you know, fund managers are interested on in reflecting, are interested in reflecting on this you know, at least to some extent, right? That, that they're aware that it's not just you turn up, there's a model, let's implement it. Oh, it doesn't work. Let's try something else, right? We Those conversations occur, but I, I don't know whether <laughs> whether the plaintiff's bar, the SEC, or the legal structure of much of the finance industry acknowledges that. And let's, let's get to actually change the finance. The, the book itself is a description, not of you know a model works or doesn't work uh how investments are made it's a description of the reality of how different people in the chain of you know nicely said nicely titled chain of finance for an investment an investment just doesn't materialize an investment is produced and there is a uh you know a, a chain of you know 10 different institutions or people uh and i had never thought to write that up but that's that's really uh, you know, uh, it, it's a very good description of reality of who's involved, who all the cooks that are in the in the kitchen. Do you want to, you know, kind of provide an overview of the book itself? Right. So, um, so you talked about the idea of the chain. I mean, we didn't invent the idea of the investment chain. Uh, it's in some existing literature, but um, it's not something you hear about in in the self presentation of investors and in the very idea of the investor itself. Right. So you turn on the you know, NPR or whatever your favorite media is, and you hear about what's happening in the markets today, and they say investors were worried about this and traders were worried about that. But you know, as you know, the industry is extremely complicated. And so what what we did is we took one part of this, which is the investment managers man, management industry, the the fund managers, the people who are you know directly responsible for investing client monies in stock and bond markets, and said that you know let's look at them ethnographically. Let's draw on our own experience and let's you know, do interviews with them and, and see how it works. And so, for us, the idea of chain is very important because there's a you know a chain of people to whom they're responsible to and 
who are responsible to them. So that might be people working on the on the sell side, the, the brokers, the investment banks. It's their own clients, which are you know, very often pension funds. Um, behind the pension funds, for instance, there are you know there are people like me and you who have worked and uh, have got have got some kind of uh, company or uh, you know workplace pension. Um, but there are also people advising those pension funds, like investment consultants. If we're just looking at individuals, invest- individual savers investing their own money, you know, their own savings in the stock market, they don't tend to do it directly. They'll go through usually se- several layers of intermediaries. They might have a financial advisor. If they're very rich, they you know, have some, you know, some kind of private office, family office, something like that, a dedicated wealth manager. Those people will be advising them where to invest their money. Maybe they're investing in mutual funds run by a fund manager. Maybe they're big enough to invest it directly, but they still go through a fund manager. There are various rating services like Morningstar that you know, advise them how to, which fund managers are the best, for instance. Um, and 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 you can you could keep sort of going beyond that go go beyond the sell side look at you know, lawyers and accountants and and government regulators and so on uh, governments of, themselves of course feed into this as borrowers and you know, fund managers are deciding which bonds to invest in and trade and so on so it's, it's extremely complicated industry and each part of it needs needs the other parts so that's why we like the metaphor of of the chain because of course the first thing you think of is like a chain is something which restricts your action but it's also something which is very strong which links things together so enables the action so if you're if you're a a fund manager you need all these different bits in the chain even even as they are you know restricting what you can do you can't just turn up to work and think you know well i feel lucky today let let me sell all my portfolio and buy something else right um they're all sorts of you know, chains of accountability, and those also within the firm. So that's something we also looked at um, ethnographically in in, in uh, two of our chapters. Is that you know there are people within the firm whose job is marketing or servicing the clients rather than you know managing the portfolios, or there are there are different approaches within the firm. Right, there are people with a more quantitative approach, people with a more qualitative approach, but you know they're sometimes in conflict. They're sharing, but they're also sharing ideas, and they also have to. You know, market those ideas, right? So, so, so that that's the sort of big idea idea of the book is to, is is to analyze how this chain works in practice. But you know, there's a there, there's a bigger picture, and if you don't mind, uh, let me explain that. I think there are two things here which frame the book. Um, one is that it's, it's very much you know written and published in 2017. The research was carried out between 2012 and 2016, so it's it's still in the aftermath of the of the financial crisis. It's in the aftermath of you know big sort of wailing and gnashing and teeth in various parts of the world. Like, how do we do this better? How can we have a better, more stable financial industry? How does fund management fit into that? And in, in the UK, we had a very interesting government commission review carried out by an economist and um, business school professor, very prominent, called John Kay, uh, who, who looked into the, this idea of the investment chain and then made various re- recommendations in terms of like shorting the length of the chain, trying to encourage investors, you know, capital fund managers to be longer term in the way, way they invest. Um, and, and we're in a way responding to that kind of thinking too. So we're saying, well, you know, what is it about the way the fund management industry actually works that makes these conclusions difficult to implement? Right, and so there are there are a number of like solutions to the to the problem of like this chain being so long that no one is ultimately accountable, that people are encouraged to be very short term. Um, 
And we look at those different conclusions, um, and we can talk about that more in a minute, and, and, and we say, well, none of these really work on their own. Maybe some combination of them you know, might go some way towards uh, towards solving the problem of this chain. The other framing, I think, is I mean, it's certainly related, but it's just a sh- to do with the sheer size of the asset management industry. You know, the figure we gave was is based on a 2014 est- estimate. I don't think it can be any more than an estimate. Estimate of the size of the asset management industry defined as mutual funds, pension funds, insurance companies, right? And that at that point it was 90 trillion dollars, you know, of assets under management. I've looked at more recent estimates, and it's definitely over 100 trillion. That's an enormous sum of money, and we say, you know, there, we compare that to uh, various, um, you know, sort of political problems that, that they need vast sums of resources thrown at them, like healthcare, for instance, uh, and like climate change, and say, well, you know, these problems are not intractable. They need vast sums of money, right? One in, one estimate we found some, from some economists, like how much money needs to be invested in renewable energy, uh, you know, to to avoid, um, you know, avoid uh, runaway climate change. Right, we found that, and it's um, it was between one and true two trillion U.S. dollars in 2014. Now that's a vast sum of money, but compared to 90 trillion, 100 trillion, that's that's nothing. Uh, I think today, given the kind of the, all the reports that have come out from various you know, the intergovernmental bodies and scientists in, in, in this year, saying actually how you know the climate climate change is not just a medium long-term problem is an emergency right and we need to do something about it extremely rapidly by 2030 or even within the next 18 months or else you know uh the ecological the feedback loops are going to be so big that everything is going to be out of control right i think we should have framed you know with hindsight we could have emphasized that aspect of the framing of the book more um because here are you know enormous sums of money but at the moment because of the way the chain works um, because fund managers are responsible to clients, and clients are responsible to regulators and governments, and to the, to the ultimately to the, you know, the pensioners or the future pensioners, uh, investment consultants are saying one thing. You know, it, it's it's very difficult to suddenly sort of turn this all around. I think probably governments by this point have to really take a lead in saying we have all this capital, we need to direct it in a, in a very different way. And you know, if we do that, then taking action to solve a problem like the climate emergency is, isn't impossible. It isn't too expensive. It isn't going to cause some kind of economic breakdown. Um, and I think that's implicit in our book, but it, it, you know, I think if we were to rewrite it today, that's you know, we might emphasize that more. That's a lot there. Let me unpack a little bit of that. for you. So I think uh, for most investors and, and, and likely readers of the book, their awareness of the complexity and the value chain in any complex society of kind of idea generation, idea origination, implementation, execution, distribution, marketing, distribution, that everyone's industry has a chain of, of delivery. And I think if most people uh, understand uh, or maybe aware of their chain and they think, boy, I know that as a physician, as a plumber, as a business person, as a journalist, I have to deal with my editors. I have to deal with the op-ed people. I have to deal with the attorneys. You know, again, that's just from the journalist. For the, for the physician, there's a whole chain of of uh, people involved in the delivery of, of uh, healthcare and so forth. Everyone's aware of that, maybe in their own um, in their own uh, silo. I think what what the book does a good job of is highlighting in this particular silo, finance and investment, that 
such a chain exists, which again, intuitively, no one's going to challenge or under, uh, you know, it makes sense. Of course, it's, it's a complex society. Um, and again, unless you're doing it yourself, this is the alternative in all the societies. You can, you can do your own dentistry or you can have someone else do it. When you have someone else do it, you understand that you are taking on a chain of value creation involving the dentists, involving the makers of the goods that the dentists use, involving the insurance companies and so forth. Uh, and same thing when you go to the grocery store, you know, it's, you, you, instead of growing it all yourself, you go to the grocery store and you realize that there's a lot of uh, other parties involved and the things kind of get lost in translation a little bit. Um, I don't know if everyone who invests, particularly retail investors, really do appreciate the number of people who are involved. Instead, because maybe of advertising or be maybe because it's a quantitative art, purports to be a quantitative art, too many people just say, oh, I did well, or I'm not doing well in the market, or this, yeah, this fund worked really well, or this fund didn't work very well, or yeah, I'm way ahead, or yay, I'm well way behind. In fact, what I think the utility of the book, first utility of the book, is just to call out the chains of finance. Again, you, you say it's not brand new, this notion, but for a lot of investors, particularly retail investors, institutions do know this, but for retail investors, I really, I really do think that it's worth... Uh, looking at because it it highlights all of the people who touch your money before between when it leaves your hands and before it comes back to you as a number of a, a return number and there are a lot of them and then the second thing that you're you're sort of getting to and you're using as a very specific example of climate change but I I would generalize is that every time somebody touches uh, an investor's money on the way up or on the way back. There's a subjective interaction. There's the interaction of the consultant, of the trader, the hesitancy of the trader. There's the 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 role of the compliance officer. There's the salesperson. Who's, there's the financial advisor. There's the portfolio manager themselves who is struggling or doing well, is cocky or is not. You know, a lot of behavior. Every layer has a has a, uh, a element of behavioral finance, uncorrelated behavioral finance. So you just don't know which it could zig and zag, and that. You know, your outcome of, hey, my fund's doing really well or my fund's doing really poorly or my portfolio's doing really well or doing really poorly can be the uh, result of so many inputs and outtakes that one just really, really doesn't appreciate. And I think that's where the, the I, I found the great value of the book is highlighting what what most investors should know, but probably need to be reminded what, again, you're, the, uh, with the exception of Warren Buffett who makes direct decisions with billions of dollars and sees the direct results and has basically very few, if any, intermediaries, has a f some, but relatively few, the, the rest of us are going to be subject to a lot of intermediaries and they are going to make the experience a little bit better, a little bit worse or more neutral. But you really ought to know that it's not a simple process of investing in return, investing in return, that there is a chain of finance that affects that outcome. Yeah, I, I think you you summarize that beautifully. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Buffett. Um, if we have time, we'll come back to that because I actually did a little bit of research on 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 Buffett, although that's not reflected in the book. But um, something you said, I mean, lots of things you said there I'd like to respond to. But yes, yeah, so I think you're probably right that retail investors at least you know do not understand quite how complex uh, this chain is, whereas they do have an idea with dentistry or plumbing or whatever but those are interesting parallels so something 
which the chain does, although I mean, it's not, no one sat down and designed it like this, but something the chain does is cover up a sort of structural flaw in the, in the investment management industry. And you may disagree with me here, but there is if, if we take all fund managers as a sort of single set of, of investors, right? There's no way, you know, all those fund managers can come top of the league table, right? And there, there are league tables, especially for retail investors, and there are fu- uh, the fund rating services like Morningstar and Standard. For those, for those few Americans who don't well. know what a league table yeah. is, uh, our, our UK <laughs> author and commentator is making a reference to what we might refer to as, you know, uh, uh, baseball or football uh, divisional listings and, you know, who's, who's ahead and something and who, who's behind. Go on, please. Sorry, Philip. <laughs> Thank you very much for that clarification. I should know that after all these years in the U.S. Uh, but um, yeah, so someone has to come top, you know, just like your football championship or whatever. Someone has to come top, someone has to come bottom, right? So if you're a fund manager, you are out there trying to attract client funds saying, look, we're the best at what we do. Um, but by definition, not everyone can be the best. So what happens, and there's empirical evidence for this, like people remove funds from underperforming ones and give them to top-performing ones, right? But but logically, that can only lead to a place where everyone gives all their, you know, everyone gives their funds to, to to one fund manager, right? Which is not what happens. Um, another way to look at it is like, can fund managers consistently beat the market? Now, they will all claim that they can, right? And most fund managers have benchmarks for their different portfolios and say, we'll beat such and such index by such and such amount over a, you know, a certain period of time. Um, but we know that's statistically all, almost impossible. And if if there was any single fund manager that said we can do that and had a track record of doing that year after year after year over, you know, say, let's say a 10-year period, again, they would start attracting their funds or other fund managers would have to imitate their investment philosophy and their approach. Um, But again, that's not what happens, right? We know, and you'll tell me that, you know, my firm is different and every firm says that, but it's not possible, especially when you take into account the fees that fund managers charge for active investment. It's not possible for the industry as a whole or any single fund manager to guarantee that we can beat the market year in, year out, or over a given time horizon, medium to long term. So how does this industry keep going? It's not like plumbing or dentistry, right? Your dentists fix your teeth most of the time. The plumbers fix the fix your pipes most of the time. They, they can they you know they're experts at what they do and and in the sense the task they have is much easier than beating the market. Fund managers are experts but cannot guarantee that they will, you know, always beat the market, right? So, so part of the chain is 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 there to to, to keep the, you know, if you like, to keep it keeps the industry in place by um, allowing the performance of expertise, right? And what I mean by that is that the fund managers, both within the firm but also outside it, you know, constantly demonstrating to people who analyze their performance. That, you know, here we are, and if we haven't performed well this quarter or this year or over this past two, three-year period, um, that's no problem. We have the right approach. We're going to come good in the end. You know, maybe like we have a business cycle approach, and this is the wrong point in the cycle. Maybe we're value managers, and the, at the moment the, the market is irrational um, and gone too high, or you know, maybe we're growth managers, and the moment market is you know other investors, that is to say, are unduly pessimistic. But don't worry, we'll we'll be right in the end, and so. You know, and they, so you mentioned the, the subjective relations. There's a kind of subjective justification of performance, um, 
against the objective numbers, right? So we have performance in both the sense of performance numbers, like how much did you, you know, beat the, or underperform, outperform the market by, and performance as in like, you know, presentation of self, talking to clients, talking to investment consultants, talking to people within the firm, you know, the client service managers, your marketing people. And so, and so I think that's also a strength of looking at the chain is we have to ask, you know, what does the chain do? And how does the chain make possible this industry, which, you know, and here's, you know, I say this as a, a former fund manager. I, d- I don't, I don't want to say that fund managers are, uh, uh, you know, hoodwinking the rest of us. But you know, how do we have this industry which really cannot do structurally, cannot do what it claims to do? And how does it exist? And how do people work in it and and charge such high fees and make so much money, right? And I think this is a, a very big political question um, that we still haven't dealt with. Right. I mean, I'm politically not. Well, let me let me just before we uh, we fit climate change. Now we fit the finance industry. So I'm, I'm sure we've got a few more political topics in seeing you. It sounds like you're you're ready, ready to rumble on pretty much any political topic. I just want to point out, though, more somewhat more neutrally, if I may, that the chains of finance and the subjectivity of each measure member of the value chain applies as much to passive investing as it does to active. Let's just say in an active manager, there may be 12 12 links in the chain for passive there's 11 but it's still the variance is associated to use a content the variance is associated with the subjectivity of each link uh particularly if you say 11 maybe not 12 is is just as high i'll also point out that passive investment which is the implied alternative to what you're saying has a person creating the index use and full of all of the subjectivity that you are attributing to um uh, the, the fund managers. And as the ETFs take over and fund managers become dinosaurs, uh, just remember that the subjectivity is as great on deciding which index to invest in, uh, how these index are constituted. Is it market cap weighted? Is it momentum weighted? Is it EPS weighted? Is it you know Vietnamese fisheries weighted? And so forth. And the, the degree of subjectivity there will be just as great as the subjectivity uh, basically, the fundamental, I would argue, uh, fundamental challenge of uh, decision making under conditions of uncertainty that face um, more traditional uh, managers. And even if for some reason you just slap a computer in, in their stead, you know, the people who, who uh, design the algorithm are subject to the same thing. And even if you just somehow got rid of that, you still have the other 11 chains involving the retail investor there emotional and subjective interactions, the financial advisor, their emotional and subjective interactions, their livelihood, um, consultants, the SEC, compliance, Morningstar. In the United States, Morningstar is a member of the chain of finance. Maybe not on the institutional side, but it absolutely is on the thing. So you have a, a uh, uh, several institutional entities. I, I do work as a fund manager, and I can tell you that uh, the uh, custodian for pooled investment vehicles, you can have pooled or non-pooled investment vehicles, the decision-making by um, lawyers or business people at the custodian, which would appear to be three or four levels behind everything that, that we're doing, is is still part of that chain. Um uh, tax authorities and tax reclaim and so forth. It, it is just, uh, uh, it's, the book is very, very, not to take shots at, at active management or individual fund managers, but much more beyond their decision-making and the challenges that they have. I, I think the utility of your book is in pointing out it's up and down the kind of the value chain uh, is is that uh, these interactions and the social studies of finance are, 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 are very, uh, 
um, you know, very important and, and worth calling out. I, I I completely agree with everything you said, and I think exactly our approach would doesn't lead us to give passive investing a free pass. We discussed that in the conclusion because passive investment is one of the solutions which has been offered to the problems of the investment chain, uh, short-termism, underperformance, high fees, and so on. And and we you know we all know that passive investing has been growing remarkably in in, in the 21st century and continues to grow and will continue to. But we totally agree. We look at that and say, well, that's not the answer either. I mean, one very important reason is all the things you've just said. Uh, the other reason is this whole question of, you know, what does it mean to invest in a company, right? And is it just, are they just a bunch of numbers? And, you know, all that matters is that the numbers go up, which is, you know, one way to look at it. Or, but, or is there other stuff underneath, right? Those numbers aren't random or arbitrary. They're, you know, they're the consequence of of people's work, of of the activities and your decisions by management, the the labor of their employees. They have results in a world far far beyond the world of finance, right? And so, and that's where you know climate change or whatever other political problem you you want remains important because the corporations or or the governments, if we're talking about bonds, that fund managers are investing in, you know, they're doing things. They have effects in the world well beyond the world of finance and. Um, Passive investment doesn't really address really those issues. Dis- yeah. yeah, it doesn't. Not at all. Yeah, I'm afraid you can make the argument. What, you may not like the numbers coming out of active managers, but if you don't like the behavior of corporations, passive investing is even more challenged in some ways uh, because it's currently a very important topic in the industry is how should passive investment structures behave in terms of corporate governance and proxy voting. And it's a because they're they're really not set up to care, but they now they have to. So the largest passive investing shops are now kind of re- I wouldn't say reversing course, but just uh, moving in the direction of taking a great interest in corporate governance. Even though, as a practical matter from an investment perspective, it's not it, it's at odds with the notion of passive investing. So very very uh, interesting times. Another you know to continue your metaphor of chains of finance, the chains are zigging and zagging. They're not just linear. And uh, the passive investing wave and the wave of ESG and the wave of ESG and passive at the same time are causing zigs and zags in the chain or parallel chains. Um, Again, my main takeaway, not to dispute uh, the orientation that, that you might have in regard to the industry, is simply to point out that uh, your book does a very, very good job of pointing out the reality of uh, these dependencies and interactions in a way that a lot of investors, you know, if you give them a nudge, would say, sure, that makes sense, but have not been formally presented with it. And and that's where Chains of Finance, I think, does uh, does a, a really good job. Your next step, and this is where we may part company, is you want to, you know, and it is implied in the book, and you can, you know, read those parts or not is to engage in a lot of the ethical issues uh, that, that you have referenced, whether it's more recently climate change. Uh, your, your channel, the specific part in your book uh, is, is trying to figure out responsible investing during the financial crisis when uh, you know, there, there were choices to be made and individuals trying to make them. Do you want to highlight how at least that episode uh, kind of played out in your book? Yeah, so there are, there are a couple of chapters about responsible investing based on my colleague Diane-Laure Argelias' fieldwork um, in Paris at a, at a firm which, well, so there are two, two separate cases. 
she was working at a firm during the financial crisis um, where you know, their response to the financial crisis was, yeah, we need to do ESG and responsible investing and we need to take that much more seriously and not just have that on the equity side where you know I think most fund managers, whether they agree or not, they, they can see at least how it works, right? You analyze the companies you invest in, in according to the you know, kind of social benefits of, of, of their activities. Um, but we also implement that in, in the fixed income side, in the bond markets, right? And the, the I think it was the chief financial officer said to the bond managers, you know, now we're going to have responsible investing criteria in uh, for our uh, fixed income portfolios. And the bond managers said, well, what are you talking about? You don't know anything mm-hmm. about fixed interest. Mm-hmm. It's not like mm-hmm. equities. You, d- you don't understand it. We just look at you know the numbers, right? It's very simple one, and um, and so it's it, so. For instance, the this, this French firm, the the sort of dedicated team for responsible investing, said to the bond fund managers, you know, based on our criteria, Greece is a very bad bet, uh, right? Something is you know going to go horribly wrong, and the, the bond money bond fund managers just said, well, no, you know. We know the state finances may not be great, but we've calculated it fine that there's no, they're going to meet their obligations. They can pay back the bonds, pay the coupon. That's all we care about. And of course, you know, they, they turned out to be wrong about that. Um, you know, so that was one case. The other case um, is, I think, possibly even more interesting in that it's, again, I think quite typically French, where responsible investing criteria are, are sort of legally embedded in in, in investment, or they have been in, in the past few years, uh, where uh, a French company, French automotive manufacturer, has a plant in Mississippi, uh, you know, a place where it, it's hard to unionize. Um, where you know, like a lot of these southern states, they have uh, they deliberately um, try, they try to attract car manufacturers uh, by saying, look, unlike in Michigan and Detroit and other places further north you know, traditionally where unions have been strong here we have you know it's very hard to unionize we we refer to it as right to work states mm-hmm. right the so-called right to work states yeah um and so and 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 so the um the, because this is a french company that had a plant there uh the french unions Try, try to sort of we were contacted by the American unions, or sorry, by American workers wanting to unionize, um, and saying, "Can you help us?" All right, and so they thought, "Okay, we'll, we'll try to do that." You know, worker solidarity across the world, and, and and so on. And so they brought together a number of actors in the chain, not not only the unions, but representatives of the French government, uh, the fund managers, trustees of the uh, of the pension funds, and they had a number of meetings. Um, to see if they, if they could help, and they really wanted to help, but the trouble was that every actor in the chain has its own responsibilities, right? So the fund managers said, "Yeah, of course, we are happy to bring pressure to bear on this on this company in which we have stock, but only if our clients say so, right?" And the clients pension fund, so they have trustees, and the you know, trustees said, "Well, you know, we'd like to do that too, but we're not sure if you know legally we're allowed to do that. Like, we don't we have just have to stick to our you know our." our obligations as specified by the law and not start intervening in this kind of thing you know the unions say well we of course we want to help because you now we're unions and we want to support our fellow workers but uh but at the same time we don't want to damage the interests of this french car company which you know uh, which our members work for right and so the, you know so it was it's, it's a strange situation where there's a political issue which is related to investing and you know has a potential solution in mobilization of the shareholders but 
but who has the power to take that decision? It's not clear because everyone is looking over their shoulder or looking to the various other parts of the chain, which they're related to, and saying, "Well, we can't do it without their say." So, right, and so the the end result is that they couldn't really do anything. So it's kind of interesting you know, example of where there's potential for political action, and yet it it couldn't really take place. Because yeah, of the and structure you know, it, to me, it's the the case of again. Uh, uh, taking small stakes, minority stakes in companies, in, 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 in markets. And, and this is, I've done a bunch of interviews with the, uh, both sides of the University of Chicago model, mostly critical of the University of Chicago model. And for the University of Chicago model, as you know, the, the price and the market price communicates pretty much everything you need to know. And there's, there's not, uh, there's not much else to, to discuss. And it, it ultimately is a virtue. And if you try to intervene with it, it's a, a lack of virtue. It's a, you know, grossly simplistic. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, when you are a minority shareholder in a publicly traded company, uh, or you are in the part of that chain of finance, whether it's a financial advisor or the custodian or the index maker and the ETF manufacturer or the consultant behind the ETF uh, manufacturer, uh, or the uh, uh, compliance person in some in any of these organizations, that. Uh, the the degree of efficiency that you uh, can enjoy is is unfortunately somewhat lower than if you were doing everything yourself. So again, back to the, you know, you can if you could make your own groceries or or do your own plumbing, then you cut out a lot of the inefficiencies in the system. But you just don't choose to do that. And and your your case study of uh you know uh, uh cross natural cross national investigation of unionizing in a non-union state is a perfect example of that. Everyone there is kind of a minority player in a value chain, and there's just not an, enough, I guess, majority there to of among any of the entities to, to get a whole lot done. The alternative, again, you know, I can, uh, we can have a stake in a company you know, the company, uh, not, and this is not part of your value chain, but by my value chain as a manager is that we take shares in a company. We vote for the board of directors. The board of directors hires the CEO, the CEO and the board of directors hire the senior management, the senior management hires the middle management. Um, there's so much that is lost in translation there that if said company comes out with a product you don't like, but you like the basic outlines of the company and the direction they're heading, but they they make a mistake somewhere, according to you, the fund manager's view, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. You've you've acknowledged that you don't run the company. You're a minority shareholder. You, in order to have a stake in in a, that company and many others, you accept minority status, and therefore you accept a degree of of um, inefficiency. And I think that is another part of this book that people need to understand is as a consequence of these chains of finance, there's, uh, I'm using the term inefficiency. I think you would probably use, and your co-authors would use a somewhat, maybe a different term, but it, it is, you know, uh, not every company that you invest in does exactly what you want. There is a degree of inefficiency uh, there. I don't know a way around that uh, and still having a market system. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the way around it either. I mean, certainly there's there's no way around it proposed in the book. I mean, one thing we don't really agree with is the idea that you can shorten these chains very easily or or 
you know, even helpfully. I mean, there are certain bits you could cut out, but you might have to add other bits in, right? I mean, all those pieces are there for a reason. And, um, you know, this, there's a very good reason, you know, you are not managing an ExxonMobil, right? Like other people are doing it. And of course, it's so huge that there are layers and layers of people doing different things and, you know, all these complicated systems put in place to try to make sure that the management understands what's going on. And, you know, um, and maybe you even see in the case of, of you know, some of the famous fraud cases like Enron is like, you know, can the fund managers even know? I mean, there may be a way of like intuitively figuring out that these people, you know, we don't trust as management or so on. But you know, it, it's quite hard when you know the management and the accountants are all in on it to, to really know what's going on, right? So there's a, so these you know links in the chain that uh, come for a reason. I mean, it, are there ways around it? And you keep a market system. I mean, it depends what you mean by the the market system. I assume you mean financial markets, right? That that's the yeah. You know, um, it's not in the book, but I've I've met people. Um, I interviewed someone you know, in um, what's it called? Greenwich, Connecticut, you know, ex uh, venture capitalist lawyer who was working on this project sponsored by a research institute there to to see if it you know if it's actually possible to run big companies, fund managers to run big companies, well, to invest in them on a kind of venture capital basis, almost like long term, take big stakes, not have the uh, stock be traded on the secondary market. Uh, you know, he argued that securities trading is a 19th century technology and it's obsolete. And if you want proper long-term management of the economy, you need to have fund managers taking stakes in companies which are big enough uh, that they they do get involved, yeah. not in the day-to-day management on the board. Yeah, you, you see what I mean. Like, in, yeah, yeah, on the board, and and those companies also run with a view to generating cash on a long-term basis to meet pension fund liabilities and uh, and you know. Again, this would be revolutionary, whether it's possible or not. I, I so the know, the but. the uh, you know the market we're, we're veering off course here, but uh, as we come towards the end, but it, you know that tension between daily liquidity, that is having a market price and long term business success, there is absolutely a tension there. Your book really doesn't get into that. That's your next book, uh, but the the uh, you know private equity. Uh, offers a solution. I don't know that if it is the solution because private equities timeline isn't much longer than public equities timeline. It's just a few years because they are levered. They have a transaction. They need to give the money back in five years. Uh, so it's not really very, very long term. Uh, I was reviewing a book for this uh, podcast that was called Patient Capital that I may may get to, and I'm hoping to to do an interview, but uh, I'm not there yet. But you know, their their definition of patient capital was five years, and I have to say that as a historian, uh, my definition of patient capital might be uh, quite a bit longer. Uh, so so private equity offers um, uh, getting around the um, the the possible inefficiencies. Again, Chicago would say there are no inefficiencies, but the possible inefficiencies of daily repricing of assets, of long-term assets. But uh, you know, what, what is long-term? I, I agree with you. I would love to find a way to hold the companies that we hold uh, and to allow them to, to develop over you know, uh, decades or longer. It is hard to do that. I, I don't have a, and I, even you know, private offices struggle with that type of time frame. Absolutely. And then you mentioned Buffett and maybe, you know, I've, I've had Buffett and I interviewed quite a few value managers for this, uh, for this um, research. And you know, perfect, personally, I'm quite sympathetic to that approach. Um, but, you know, Buff, you mentioned Buffett, but, but I say Buffett is a complete one-off, you know, he's, he's 
structurally, you know, he's so big, he can buy Correct. a whole company, Correct. just states Correct. and companies, right? And also, I mean, I went to uh, the annual Berkshire Hathaway annual general meeting, and I met a fund manager there who was a skeptic and had been taken on. And it, you know, it's really like going to a mega church, 20,000 people, and they're all believers, and you know, every word Buffett says is, you know, the gospel. Um, but he was a skeptic. He said, yeah, you know, I could do what he does if I had my insurance company, right? And so, I mean, Maybe he could, maybe he couldn't. But you know, it's it's so unusual. The Buffett is almost not a model. Yes, and that, he's the exception that proves the, the rule that being a long term business investor is very, very uh, uh, difficult. Because in part, we'll kind of round up, uh, wrap up here. Because in part, the chains of finance, and this is one of the you know edgier points of of your book, the chains of finance, which are unavoidable in a complex society, the links, the number of people involved in the manufacturing of investment. Uh, do and and again, correct me if I restate your 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 thesis uh, incorrectly. Do lead one of the downsides of it is that it does lead to short termism, and uh, more than one might like to see in uh, one's investments. Uh, but as you know, as you point out, it's it's, it's uh, hard to even if you remove a few of the chains, it's going to be uh, difficult to uh, completely. Uh, get to a simple ownership investment uh, structure with uh, without lots of intermediaries, but that is, as you say, it's uh, the near termism of the market is is one of the downsides of this structure. Yeah, exactly. You know, so we, so I think we're, we're I, we are okay. we're coming up. Any any final comments that you would uh, like to make? No, I mean, I'm just saying like the, our conclusion was like some combination of all the problem, uh, so all the solutions which have been posed, which would include passive investment, includes more responsible investment, includes uh, more information in certain areas, but information is not a solution because we already have too much of that as it is. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, I think, right, exactly. We, you know, the chain cannot be just done away with or wished away. And there's no sort of mythical golden age of where it all worked perfectly with no intermediation. intermediation. Except where we are all our own Warren Buffetts. <laughs> right. And you know, So Warren when we Buffett get to that day. Warren Buffett, because everyone else, and he says it himself, like he has all these opportunities because lots of other people don't think like him and are what he would call irrational. And so they're sort of selling stuff when the market's going down. So he starts buying it if it's a good business. You know, this. So, yeah. So the, the book is Chains of Finance, How Investment Management is Shaped. The authors, uh, Deanne Laure Arjales, uh, Ian Hardy, Donald McKenzie, uh, Yekaterina Svetlova, and my guest today, uh, Philip Grant. Uh, for investors who want to see how the sausage is made in the sausage factory, but do so in a clinical way, uh, for practitioners who want to be reminded that it is not purely an objective uh, uh, exercise. I, I highly recommend uh, the book. It is relatively short. It is the social studies of finance. The authors are more on the social studies side than the finance side. So there's a bit of social studies language, uh, somewhat academic, but it is it is short. It is eminently readable. And the point is kind of straightforward and the descriptions are uh, easy to understand. So I, I do encourage you to uh, take a look at the book. Uh, Philip Grant, thank you so much for, for uh, joining me on New Books and Finance. I really appreciated our discussion. Thank you very much. 